you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Amos chapter 3 as we continue our study through the Word. So you'll remember that Amos was a, a prophet that was lived in Judah in the southern kingdom and you will remember that he was sent to the northern kingdom to minister a word that had come to him that the Lord had sent him to go and to share. And you will remember that last time we saw that there was the, the judgment upon the nations, that the iniquity had built up and now it was time for God to judge the, the nations. And, and so we saw as, you know, the, the formula that we saw Amos use was for three transgressions and, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. And, and then we saw that you know, the nations, Damascus was judged, we saw Gaza was judged, we saw Tyre was judged, we saw Edom uh, was judged, and, uh, and then, you know, we saw that, uh, that Judah was judged, and, and the reason that Judah was judged uh, is it said that, uh, that they had turned away from the word of the Lord because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Now, you remember that God took the nation to be his own people. And so he said, here is the way that you are to conduct yourself. These are the, the family rules. And now we're family, and so this is the way that we conduct ourselves. And you're to live different than the rest of the nations, and you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. And so this was now the the, the law that he had given to them. But they had taken the law, and it says not only have they set it aside, but they said that they've now despised it. They, they have not only rejected it, but they have completely abhorred it. And so now they were declaring that they're God's people, but they weren't living in relationship with God. And so this was the reason now for the judgment that is going to come upon Judah. And then we saw that, you know, in the last chapter, how God had declared to, to uh, Israel that they also, the northern kingdom, was going to be judged uh, as well. And so kind of a, a summary of the judgment and the reasons because of the, the, the incredible idolatry that was going on in the northern kingdom, because of the sexual immorality that was taking place, because of the greediness uh, of the people. And so these now outline, but now here as we come back into this third chapter, we'll see that, that Amos is going to come and he is now going to dive more fully into the sins that the northern tribe has been conducting. They've been dishonest in their dealings. They, the law and the courts have been corrupted. The, the surface religion was uh, now um, kind of hiding the lack of relationship and faith. And, uh, and so God now is going to speak to his people through the prophet Amos. We begin here in this third chapter, verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, you only have I, you only have I known 
of all the families of the earth, and therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. So we see here that he begins, you know, by talking about the fact that, that the nation of Israel was chosen by God, that they would be the instrument. They, they were going to be the instrument through whom which God was going to bring his son, through whom the salvation of the world was going to transpire. And, and so a chosen nation. They were to be a people set apart. They were to be a holy nation, an instrument of God for salvation. And, and so he had taken them by his right hand, formed them into a nation, brought them out of Egypt, established them in the land, and, and blessed them. He says, you only have I known of all of the families of the earth? And so God didn't take a multitude of nations and, and make all of them to be his families. He had one family, the nation of Israel, and they were his. And so here we see that he says that, you know, that he now is going to chastise them. He is going to punish them for their uh, iniquity. We see here that, uh, that they were living in opposition to the law of God. And so it, it wasn't just an ignorance of God's law. It was a rebellion from God's law. And so the law had been given and clearly communicated, and God had sent prophets to remind them of the law. But they were willfully not walking in the uh, ways of God. And, and so we see that, you know, there are the sins of, uh, of ignorance and, and those are, you know, the, the, those are offensive in the eyes of God. But the sin of rebellion, that that is going to another level. And that brings about a greater judgment. You remember that Jesus, when he was talking about the, the surrounding cities and towns that he had visited and the way in which he had done mighty works in Chorazin and in Bethsaida and in Capernaum, and he said that their judgment is going to be greater in that day of judgment than that of Sodom and Gomorrah or of the people of Nineveh. Why? Because the light that they had, the favor and blessing of the Lord, the opportunity uh, that they had. And so uh, here we see that, you know, that they were blessed, but with that blessing also goes responsibility. And so the nation, God's people, they were expected to be the light to the rest of the world, to point mankind to the true and the living God. You had all of the paganism, all of the polytheism, all of the multitudes of other gods, but God says, I'm going to take one people, I'm going to show myself mighty on behalf of these people. And the whole world will know that there is one God, that I am the true and the living God, and, and, and I don't want you to go and to worship what isn't even true, what, what is false. I want you to worship the true God, and, and I will manifest myself through glorifying the nation and bringing glory to myself. But instead of being that instrument of light, they got greedy, they started to fall after their flesh, they started to chase after the things that the other peoples were going after, and so God now is going to bring judgment uh, upon them. And so 
we see that in these next upcoming verses that judgment is inevitable. In other words, God has already now, they have crossed that line to where the judgment is coming. And so Amos is now announcing the judgment that is going to come. And he is going to use seven questions, seven kind of rhetorical questions that are going to be asked. And we see that they are going to lead up now to the conclusion he begins here in verse 3 and he says can two walk together unless they are agreed and so uh, what does that mean it, it means that if two people are going to to journey together they have to agree to stay together to walk at the same speed to be going to the same destination there the, there needs to be that that communion and cooperation between the two of them if they are going to uh, walk together and and so uh, here you know the nation of Israel hadn't walked with God and so here they are not walking you you cannot walk with God uh, unless you are surrendered and submitted to going where God is going to go. You can't constantly be trying to pull God to go in the direction that you want to go and insist to, that he come your way. You have to surrender and say, God, I want to walk with you. And where you go and where you lead me is where I want to go and where I want to be led. And so the, the, the question is, trying to live out your own life or trying to walk where God wants to lead you in your life. They had started walking where God was going to lead them. He had led them into the land, planted the, he put them into the, the, the land that flows with milk and honey and, and all. And so they had journeyed. He had fed them in the wilderness and placed them in the land and, and they had built the temple and they were worshiping God. But then they stopped walking with God. And now God kept on trying to get their attention to, to come and, and walk alongside uh, of me. And, and yet uh, they wouldn't. And, and so it is that surrender, the absolute surrender of our life to the, the will of God. That partial surrender is that, is that place of turmoil and difficulty. When, when you want God, but you still want God on your terms instead of wanting God on God's terms. And, and there is that surrender. Jesus talked about it a different way. You know, he said that you have to pick up your cross and crucify your flesh daily. Your, your flesh wants nothing to do with, with the life that God has for you, with the spiritual man, the carnal man and the spiritual man. They, they wrestle, they battle on a, on a daily basis. And, and so how can two walk together unless they are agreed? So a great question, are you agreed with God? Are you surrendered to God? And are you allowing God to set the speed, the course, uh, and the avenue through which you are going to walk uh, with them? He says in verse 4, Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? And, and so the, the second rhetorical question that he asks now is about a, a lion. And so... A lion roars, it's when it's hunting, it will, you know, 
creep up on its prey, but when it moves into attack is when it will roar. And so it's not going to roar ahead of time because it would frighten the, uh, the prey away. And so it is once it is spotted, once he is now uh, in pursuit of that and when he has caught it. And so, you know, we see here that, uh, that the question that is being asked and the second one here is, you know, or the third is a lion's cry. In a similar way, a lion, you know, contented growl when he has his prey. And, and this now is that satisfied roar. And in verse 5, will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Or will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? In other words, will a snare for no reason whatsoever be triggered? Or does it require a trigger? And if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? And if there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And so, you know, fourth question is a bird. You know, it won't fall into a trap unless the, the snare has first been prepared and set. The trap doesn't spring unless something has triggered it. And, and sixth, when the war trumpet sounds, people tremble. When, you're in, when there is an attack and when we are under attack, there is an alarm that produces fear and apprehension. The trumpet would, uh, would be a sounding trumpet that warns the people that, that danger is now upon them. And, um, and so and here we see that you know, what Amos is doing is that he connects these six statements, these six rhetorical questions that are true, and they lead to this final seventh statement, and each one kind of reinforcing this final point is that in the nation of Israel, if God is protecting it, and if God is all-powerful, and if a city would fall while God is protecting it, it's not that God is weak. It's that God is allowing it. And so this is the point that now Amos uh, is bringing. When judgment comes against the cities of Israel, everybody is going to know that it was the Lord that had done it. It's not going to be an accident. It's not going to be bad luck or fate. It's simply going to be the hand of the Lord, and the Lord has allowed that judgment. You see, God is going to use the nation of the Assyrians to come and to be the instrument of judgment against his people. But no one can afflict his people if God does not unlock the door, open the gate, and invite them to come in. And so, it is not the strength of the Assyrians, it is the permission of God to, to bring judgment upon them. And so Amos is telling them that when the judgment comes, know that the judgment is coming from God. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And, 
And so God seldom acts uh, without first giving warning through the prophets. And, uh, and so, you know, it is very interesting the way that, you know, God, before he acts, he would constantly be warning, constantly be sending a prophet to, uh, to warn them. And, uh, and so here we see that Amos is coming now once again. Now, you know what's interesting about this verse here is that, you know, this is one of the verses that, uh, that people will use out of context when it comes to the, uh, the rapture of the church. Do you want to know when the church is going to be raptured? That's a question that that tantalizes people, and and so many times you will have the books that have been written about the dates that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. Is you know you can just pile them up, and and, and so oftentimes they will quote this very verse that that the Lord doesn't do anything without revealing it through a prophet. Guess what? They're the prophet that God is revealing it, and this is now the date of the rapture and buy my book, you know, and so, you know, so the date setters uh, here will use this verse to, you know, to say this is, you know, but of course, you know, the Bible also tells us that no man knows the day or the hour that the Lord is going to return, so you can spare, save your money on Amazon, don't buy the book, you know, that gives you the date that the Lord is going to uh, return, but, uh, but we see here that the point is, is that God is so long-suffering with us, amen? God is so long-suffering, and he warns, and he warns, and he warns, and he seeks to turn us, he seeks to draw us back when we stray, when we drift, when we're moving away, and, uh, and so uh, here we see that, you know, once again, that until he reveals to his servant the prophets, he says, a lion has roared, verse 8, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And so the, the Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? We see here that, you know, what, what Amos is saying is, is that God has spoken. Don't get mad at the messenger, you know. Here he is. He's got to bring this message to the northern kingdom and tell him that, you know, judgment is coming. And he says, you know, look, God spoke, and what can I do about it? You know, I, I am just simply the, uh, the messenger. And you remember how difficult things were for Jeremiah. You know, as Jeremiah kept on telling, you know, Judah, that, that the Babylonians, that God's going to give you into the hands of the Babylonians, and they're going to take you into captivity, and you had all of the false prophets. All the false prophets were saying, what a, you know, to, to Jeremiah, you're a false prophet. You know, God is never going to let, you know, Jerusalem fall. God is never going to let the temple be destroyed. You know, we are never going into captivity. We are God's people. And, you know, and, and Jeremiah, you know, God just keeps making Jeremiah, you know, declare, keeps giving him these visions. And finally, Jeremiah is thrown in prison, you know, for just prophesying in there, you know. And so he's thrown into prison and he's like, all right, that does it. I'm not going to say any more prophecies that God gives me. You know, he's tired of just being, you know, mistreated and, you know, no one believes him and he's being, you know, 
told that he's the problem and that he's a false prophet. And so, you know, he's in prison. He's like, I'm not, I'm, he quit being a prophet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Lord, I resign. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it anymore. But, you know, but then he, he said that, the, that the, his, the word of God was like a fire in, the, in his bones and be, he became weary of trying to hold back what God was saying. And, uh, you know, and so here again, Amos is, you, you know, declaring the Lord has spoken. Who can but mm, prophesy? And, you know, Paul kind of the same way. He says, you know, I don't get any credit for preaching. Woe to me if I don't mm, preach. And, and, you know, who can withhold? Uh, you know, I cannot but help to speak. And, uh, and so, you know, here we see the prophecy that God is bringing against the northern kingdom, and and so we kind of see these seven examples, these seven, you know, the six rhetorical questions that lead now to this judgment, and and finally now ultimately it is, you know, a lion has roared. Verse nine, proclaim in the palaces at Ashdod. And in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, assemble on the mountains of Samaria and see great tumults in her midst and the oppressed within her for they do not know how they do not know to do right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. And, and so uh, here we see that, you know, God is, you know, calling the, the these perennial enemies of the nation of Israel to, to witness now the judgment that he is going to uh, bring upon them. He, you know, he, he says, proclaim in the palaces there at uh, Ashdod. Ashdod was you know, one of the cities of the Philistines, and so the Philistines were the great enemies. And, and in the palaces in the land of Egypt, and, and so the struggles with Egypt and all the way you know, to the mountains of Samaria and and see now the, the tumult uh, that is in there. And, and, and so we see that the people are disobeying God and God is calling now the, the, the enemies to bring judgment. He says, for they do not know to do right. They don't know to do right. Jeremiah writes in chapter four, he says, for my people are foolish they have not known me, and they are silly children, and they have no understanding, and they are wise to do evil. And so uh, here we see that, you know, that they are wise in doing evil, he says, but to do good, they have no knowledge. One of the great challenges in the church today is the lack of the of the knowledge of the word of God and so here we see that this was also what was happening back then he says they do not know to do right they're so caught up in their own lives and you know the the culture had gotten to the place where everybody was just doing whatever was right in their own eyes and they kind of got to this place where where they said don't judge me i won't judge you and you don't judge me and if i'm not hurting you and you're not hurting me then then what's the problem and they forgot god's word they didn't know 
how to do right anymore. They were just doing whatever they wanted. They were just letting their hearts guide themselves. And, and he says here they don't know how to do right. He says, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. And so we see that, that God's people, who were supposed to be a witness to the rest of the world, weren't conducting themselves any different than the world. We see that God's people were now stirring up violence and they were just consumed with materialism and possessions. They just wanted to accumulate, accumulate, and accumulate. And so they didn't care about loving others. They weren't seeking the welfare of others. They were seeking what others had to move it into their pile so that their pile was bigger. And it was all about making piles of possessions. The culture was just interested in making piles of possessions. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> A culture that is just interested, everybody's interested in just making their own pile uh, of possessions. And, and so this is what their culture was, uh, was focused on. And, and so, therefore, verse 11, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall be all around the land, and he shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces uh, shall be plundered. And so uh, here we see that, uh, that, that God told them that an enemy is going to come and is going to invade them and is going to overrun the land. A and he's going to pull down their houses and everything that they have acquired. Their, their piles of stuff is going to all be gone. And everybody loses all of their piles of stuff because that's what they were living for. The piles of stuff had become their God. It was what they thought about when they woke up in the morning. It's what they talked about all day long. It's what they dreamed about when they uh, went to bed at night. And, and all they did was think about their stuff. It, it, it was like their entire life was nothing but HGTV. <laughs> it was just about their homes and remodeling and making them better and bigger and nicer and, and the stuff and, and everything in life became about stuff instead of about relationships. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't say, Get the biggest house that you can, furnish it with the nicest stuff, and live comfortably ever after. <laughs> he talked about relationships. Love God. Love others. And don't worry about the stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, and all of these things will be added unto you. And how important that is in, in our life, when, in a culture that we live in that is so materialistic, that is so echoing and paralleling the way that the, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel, when they had strayed from God, they, they tried to fill the hole in their life that would be filled by their relationship with God with stuff. And, and so our culture is doing the exact same thing. And, and so... 
and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and this is what the prophets were coming to try and not, not be mean to the people, but put them on track so that their life had purpose, so that they felt the significance that we were born to experience, so that emptiness of, uh, of materialism isn't a trap for God's people, that, that we wouldn't lose time wandering in the wilderness by, by being distracted by the ways of the world. They had gotten distracted by the ways of the world and had departed from the ways of God. And so here we see that, that where they are is, is the very same choices that we have in front of us in a culture that sounds very much like a modern-day version of, uh, of the very trap that they, as God's people, had fallen into. And, and so the Word of God is the warning to us in the way that God sent the prophets to them. He sends the Word of God to us. So that just as Amos was, was warning them, God is warning us uh, through the word of God. So that what? So that we don't fall into that same trap. And so each and every one of us, we, we have to choose. How can two walk together unless they be of one accord? Are we willing to surrender our will to God's will? Are we willing to live God's way? Are we willing to reflect God's principles? Are we willing to stand up and declare God's truth in the culture in which we are living? Because that was the purpose of God's people back then, to be a light to the rest of the nations. And so as Christians today, we are the light to the culture that we are immersed in. And no longer has God picked a nation to be a light to the world. He has picked individuals to be saved to now shine their light in the world in which they are living. But being in the world but not of the world, that is the challenge. And this was the challenge of the nation of Israel. They had compromised and they now reflected and started to go after the, the things of the world. And so God now is going to bring a judgment uh, upon them because they knew better, but yet uh, they were not obedient. And, and so I'm going to bring an enemy. And, and that which you used to live for is just going to be trampled. It's just going to be gone uh, in a minute. And thus says the Lord, verse 12, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and on the edge of a couch. And, and so here we see that you know, when you were a shepherd and your responsibility was the flock and when there was a sheep that was missing, you were to go and to, and to find that. And if a lion had, had taken it and torn it apart into shreds, you were to take whatever pieces you could that you had found as, and bring it back as, as evidence that you had found the lamb and that it had been torn apart. And, and so here, 
you know, God says that he is going to bring judgment uh, upon them and, and that there is going to be a, 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 a remnant that is going to be destroyed. Uh, this is going to be the Assyrians are going to come in and they're going to take the majority into captivity and they are going to destroy some. And, uh, and so here, verse 13, hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. And the houses of ivory shall perish. And the great houses shall have an end, says the Lord. So God addresses the northern kingdom as the house of Jacob. And uh, we see here that he says that he is going to, when he destroys, when he brings judgment in, that Bethel is going to be destroyed, the altars of Bethel. Now, you'll remember that the temple was where they were to worship. But when the nation split, Bethel was the palace, was the place where Jeroboam, the king, establishes his capital also, where he built an altar and told the people not to go to Jerusalem to worship, but come and to worship there at Bethel. And, and so now we see that he was leading them in a golden calf was erected there by Jeroboam. Uh, and so that altar kind of symbolized God's, you know, the, the rebellion against God by the northern tribes as they were bowing down to the golden calf there at Bethel instead of uh, worshiping the true and the living God there in the temple. And, and there at the altar, the, the horns of the altar, and, uh, and so fugitives could grab these uh, horns and they could claim asylum. And, uh, but uh, we see here that, uh, that now those horns are going to be cut off. And, uh, and so uh, here we see that Israel's sin, the, the, the message that, that God is sending is, is that Israel's sin is so great that he is going to cut off the, the asylum that those horns represent. And you had summer houses and winter houses, and, uh, and so they were very prosperous underneath Jeroboam, and the people had both summer and winter houses, and, uh, and so here we see that God is going to destroy them. They have these houses uh, because uh, that they were a result from exploiting the poor. So th there was nothing wrong with them being prosperous, but what was wrong was that they were dishonest and they were leveraging the poor in order to make that money. And so uh, here we see that, uh, that now, rather than praising God and thanking God and walking in obedience, we see that, that they now had pushed God to the side. They were exploiting the poor and they were now just collecting things in order to fill up their life. We 
see here in this fourth chapter that in this second message now Amos is going to you know kind of talk about the upper class women uh, and the judgment on the nation for its religious hypocrisy he says hear this word you cows of Bashan now the cows of Bashan those are the women <laughs> he's talking and I'm not sure that women enjoy being called fat cows uh, um, ever, uh, but the, here we see that, you know, the, the, hear the word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, but listen to what he says, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, and who say to your husbands, bring wine and let us drink. And so... The cows of Bashan, they, they're famous. They, they are lush pastures that are there in northern Galilee, and that's the area of Bashan around the Sea of Galilee. And so the cattle are well fed there, and so they are, you know, the strong bulls of Bashan are talked about in Psalm 22 and Ezekiel 39 mentions the the fatlings of Bashan and uh, and so here these the women the of the wealthy are called these cows of Bashan but these women now we see uh, that they are oppressing the poor and crushing the needy now normally women have you know this expanded emotional range and and women tend to be uh, tender and compassionate and empathetic and so the 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 kindness and the goodness of the women but these women now were the very opposite they now were not gentle or kind and we see that they were greedy and they oppressed the poor and and they wanted to be pampered and and all they want to do is to just drink and have parties and and so verse 2 and the Lord God has sworn by his holiness behold the days shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks and you will go out through broken walls and each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. And so the Lord said that the days, so here are all of these women that are just, you know, rather than doing good and using the freedom and the flexibility and the influence that they have to be about God's work, instead they were just self-indulgent and cruel. And so God says that you are going to be taken away, that the enemy is going to come and he's going to storm the city. He says you're going to go straight out through broken walls. In other words, you're not going to have to walk to find exits. The walls are just going to be smashed. You're just going to walk straight out through the broken walls. And, and he says and you're going to be taken away you know, with fish hooks. And now the Assyrians, the, the Assyrians were known as, uh, as some of the most barbarous and cruel people in, the, in history. And there are many reliefs, you know, that, that there are artworks that they had left behind and, you know, carved into walls and all that they have from the Assyrians. And, and they drew pictures of them leading the captives with fish hooks through their noses. They, they would cut off the 
with tongues. They would cut off the ears. They would cut off the noses. They would gouge out the eyes. They, they would maim the people. And it was psychological warfare. So that, you know, when that reputation went around and you heard that the Assyrians were coming, you were, you were already afraid uh, of the Assyrians. And it was the Assyrians that uh, literally did take them into captivity and did put the fish hooks, you know, through their, uh, you know, through their lips and noses and, and all and strung them together and, and marched them out. And, uh, and so and here, God declaring that, uh, that this judgment uh, is coming by the Assyrians. In verse 4, he, he now is you know, using satire, and, and he says, Come to Bethel and transgress. You know, Bethel. They, they weren't supposed to go to Bethel. They were supposed to go to Jerusalem. But, you know, he says, Come to Bethel and transgress. And at Gilgal, multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every three days and and so they were to come to the temple of god they were to come and worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our god our our maker psalm 96 give to the lord the glory that is due his name and bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and tremble before him all the earth. They were to come into the courts, not to Bethel. We see that Bethel was the, uh, the sanctuary up north where the, uh, the king worshipped. And Bethel was the place where Jacob had first met God. Bethel means house of God. But it became one of the centers of, uh, of worship of the northern kingdom. And, and Gilgal, Gilgal, you'll remember that, that, that that was where the nation crossed over the Jordan River and, and came in. And then they marked it with its memorial stones. And, and so uh, there they circumcised and, and separated themselves now to the uh, Lord and, and they were God's um, people and, and so, but now no longer are they separating themselves. No, no longer are they God's people. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It says with leaven. Now remember that leaven is, is a typology of sin. You were never to put leaven on any of the sacrifices, but this is what they were doing. And so uh, here he says, proclaim and announce the free will offerings for this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. They were going through the motions. They were bringing sacrifices, but they weren't being obedient to God. And so they just loved the whole, you know, sacrifices and all and feeling like, you know, they were doing the right thing. But uh, we see that, that they were completely far from God. And so the, the people continued in their economic exploitation of one another, the hypocrisy, pretending to be God's people, but... No matter how many times God called to them, they refused to, to listen. Is God calling to you? Is God speaking to you? Is God trying to get your attention, but you're more interested in just the routine that you've got? 
so that you don't want to truly hear what God has to say. God's desire is to speak to you every single day. He wants to have a, a conversation. He, he invites you to open up the Word of God, not to read stories. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the place of communion for us. And so when we open up the Word of God and we say, Lord, speak to me. This is my heart. I'm opening my heart. These are my ears. I'm opening my ears. I am your servant. Speak whatever it is that you want to speak to me. You never have to be afraid of God because God has your best interest at heart. God loves you beyond what you can even possibly imagine, what you can even begin to imagine. And, and he wants to lead you to blessings. And, and I think that sometimes what we can do is we can start to even, you know, even reading the Bible can start to become just a routine, just something that we want to make sure that we did. But the question isn't, did we read the Word of God? The question is, did we meet with God in the Word of God? Lord, speak to me. How are we doing? How are any of my relationships, anything that's going on in my life, talk to me, Lord. I'm desperate to hear from you. And so here we see that they were going through the motions, but they didn't really want to hear from God. They just wanted to give the appearance uh, of it. And so wanting the reputation of God's people, but rejecting God's invitation to communicate with him and to spend time with him and to bring sacrifices to him. And, and so God says, verse 6, also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in your places. And yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Here we see how God tried to draw them back, how God tried to get their attention. And oftentimes God will use discomfort in our lives to get our attention. When he can't get our attention any other way, and when he has tried to communicate, he sent prophets that wouldn't listen, sends more prophets, they won't listen, sends more prophets, they won't listen. He says, okay. Well, then I will use a, a, a little more drastic measures now to be able to get your attention. And, and he says, and I gave you cleanness of teeth. It doesn't mean that he sent them toothpaste. <laughs> now look at how clean their teeth are. Well, what he's saying there is, is that you're not going to enjoy any more barbecues where you, you need the floss afterwards because the, 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 the meat and the barbecue is, is stuck in your teeth, guess what? You're not going to have to worry about that because you're not going to have any meat whatsoever. And your teeth are going to be very clean. I, I sent you cleanness of teeth and, and a lack of bread. Maybe, maybe I can get your attention if your pantry isn't so full, if you don't have such a full belly every single night. And you will start to ask the question, Lord, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And so I tried to get your attention, and you still, and you wouldn't return to me, even when I did, even when I did that. In verse 7, I also withheld rain from you. 
when there was still three months to the harvest and I, I made it rain on one city, but I withheld rain from another city and one part was rained upon and, and where it did not rain, that the part withered. So two or three cities uh, wandered to another city to, to drink water, but they were not satisfied and yet you have not returned to me. And so you remember that they would have the, the early rains and the latter rains. And, and so before the harvests, God would send the rains to make sure that the crops really fattened up before the harvest. But here, what he did is, no, notice the kindness. He only brings partial judgments, just these, these gentle, you know, judgments on them to just get their attention and, and to turn them. He says, you know, I didn't send complete drought on you. Uh, I sent rain, it would rain in one area and, and not on another. And then the people from here would have to come over here and, you know, and begin to ask the question, Lord, what's going on? Lord, what, what's going on? And, and I did that. And yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. In verse 9, he turns it up a little bit. I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, and the locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. He says, I, I keep turning the consequences up, and man, you keep digging your heels in deeper and deeper and deeper, and you know, and, and, and you see the way in which God now is, is seeking relationship. <laughs> you know, his desire is what? That they would return to him, that they would be in the place what of their blessing of their blessing. You see, their blessed life is going to be in his presence. Everybody's life is blessed when it's in his presence. In fact, in his presence is the fullness of joy. And yet, and here they are, and God's pulling on them and tugging on them and dragging on them. You know, it's so funny. I was in the store the other day, and, you know, I was seeing this kid, and he, he started, you know, to, the, the, you know, when they're about that, that three. They call it the terrible twos, but I think it's the three-year-olds, you know, that, you know, and, and, and the kid starts, and the dad is kind of, you know, take him, and the, the kid's like, no, I don't want him, and the kid's pulling back, and so, you know, and so the dad takes him and starts to, you know, use a little more, you know, strength to drag him. And, and, and finally the kid pulls his trump card, you know, the noodle legs, you know, and just the complete collapse now. And so dad's either going to drag him as a noodle across the floor, you know, in the thing here, you know, and, and, and this is, and this is God with the nation of Israel. And he's like, come on, come. It's like, you know, they're like, no. And he's like, Come, come back, return to me. And they're like, no, I won't. And it's like, you know, well, here, you know, and, and then there's the battle, and then there's the dragging, and, you know, and I'm increasing, and now all the way to dragging, and there go noodle on them, you know, and there they are. That's it, you know. I am not, no matter what, you can't make me. And you think how tragic it is because God's just trying to bless them. And, and they have no idea that their rebellion is just now to their own harm and how 
frustrated God is. He's like, I, I've reasoned with you. I've talked to you. I've sent prophets to you. I, I, I brought little judgments. I increased the judgments. I, I brought blight and locusts and, and still, and man, you still won't return to me. You still won't return to me. says the Lord. And I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. And for your young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I let your enemies start to have victory uh, over you. And, and I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. And, and yet you've not returned to me, says the Lord. And I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were like a firebrand plucked uh, for the burning but yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. And therefore thus will I do to you, O Israel. God says, okay, you win. You win. You don't want to be my people. You just refuse to return to me no matter what. I do for you, then you get what you wanted. You don't want to be my people, you won't be my people. And therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And so we see that they are not going to meet a God of love but they're going to meet a God of justice, righteousness and holiness. And, and God's holiness demands that there be the consequences for sin. But here, he says, prepare to meet your God. And that is, that is God's heart for every single person on the face of the earth. Prepare to meet. God, how do we do that? You do that by making sure that your sins are forgiven. You do that by making sure that you have repented and accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because He's the one that cleanses you from all unrighteousness because you don't want to meet God, and you will meet God, but you don't want to meet God unprepared. And so here he is telling them, prepare your heart, repent and return. Prepare your heart, repent and return. And, and they would not. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. And so, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And, and so, uh, it is appointed once to die and after that, uh, the judgment of God. What an appropriate message for our communion service tonight. I want to invite the elements to be passed out and to have our uh, worship team come out. But, but, you know, it is the communion elements that have us to stop and to recognize just how much uh, we are loved, how much you are loved, and how much uh, I am loved. That Jesus Christ uh, is the one that, 
that came and gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. He says you don't you don't want to meet God unprepared, so prepare yourself. And, and that's exactly what communion is all about. Communion is all about the preparation of the heart. Jesus told us to, to stop and come to the communion table and to just reflect. A time to just stop and to ask the Lord this question. How are we doing, Lord? How are we doing? How are you and I doing? How's our relationship going? And, and that's as we pass these elements out. I want you to hold the elements and, and then we are going to take them all together uh, in a moment. But as you hold those elements, Jesus wanted you to know that you're loved. And, and Jesus' own words no greater love is a man than this and he would lay down his life for his friend. That there is no greater love than the sacrificial love that gives everything, that gives their life so that you can have life. And that is that demonstration. And so as we hold these elements, just spend some time with the Lord right now just reflecting on how how you're doing. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat. This is my body. Let's partake of the body of Christ. then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins but I say to you I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake of the cup. All right, let's pray. Father God, you are so good. And God, you rescued us. You sent your Son to save us. And God, we just love you. We thank you. We ask that you would just continue to go before us, Lord. Bless us uh, now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.